Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. We're welcoming a good friend to the show, Matt Kelly. Matt is a partner and business designer at Dutank, a strategy design firm that works with their clients to create strategic change build and maintain innovation engines, and enable high-performing communities. Matt has been part of Dutank since its formation in 2014 and is responsible for their office here in Chicago. Matt has over 10 years of experience overseeing the life cycle of complex organizational development activities and is skilled in facilitating synthesis of multiple perspectives into a clear strategy and a plan for action. He assists organizations with alignment and clarity about the current state of their businesses, their competition, economic challenges, and their vision for the future. Matt has an undergraduate degree from the University of Chicago and an MBA from the University of Illinois at Chicago. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Matt, if you don't mind, uh, can you share with our listeners, for those who aren't aware, what is Dutank? So we're, uh, we're a team that helps people figure stuff out and hopefully simplify complexity. So most of the things that we work on are, are helping teams design a strategic plan, a vision for the future, uh, a lot of work with customers as well to try to understand what makes them tick, you know, what, what, uh, what keeps them awake at night, what do they dream about, that sort of thing. So we do a lot of work um, kind of organizing oftentimes innovation squads or, you know, some of the work that we've done, you know, is helping people scope out what they need in terms of, you know, features and benefits for new product services, software development projects, that kind of thing. So, yeah, we try to simplify complexity rooted in human-centered design uh, methods. Pretty cool. Uh, you know, we've, we've worked on things in the past. Uh, you've been part of the uh, Chicago Innovation Roundtable, and we've done a lot of uh, work together there. Uh, and and Dutank does some really amazing things with a lot of organizations. And you really do a, a wonderful job of engaging people, even in uh, just a more of a paying it forward approach. Right. There's a lot of activities and events that you guys are always willing to help with. And I think that's amazing. I think is what you do for the community here in Chicago is really uh, inspiring. Um, one of the things that when I think about design thinking and, you know, it's really penetrated our organization. Right. Uh, how we engage our clients to understand and, you know, really get in the shoes. Right. You know, uh, understand what that means to to see the world from their perspective. And it's really transformed our relationships with our clients from more of a checklist or, you know, here's a project, go do it. We're really more of a strategic partner at that point. One of the things I, I see that's very interesting is as, as people are moving from a project to product mentality in IT, uh, understanding that vision state of the future or what the business model uh, is, is one of those really critical elements, especially for more established businesses, right? That are looking for innovation. I think the the startups and a lot of the they're a little bit more okay with uh, doing things in the future instead of the status quo. When you engage those more established organizations, what are some of the things that you do to to start the ball rolling there? One thing we certainly do not do is jump right into quote unquote innovation and inventing new stuff. 
It's a mistake that groups make all the time. They make they get this resolution or this idea that we're going to build something new. Um, but what we we do then is we often will start by kind of orienting them around a couple of things. First is their current state business model, like you mentioned, Pat, the business model, how we create, deliver, and capture value today. That could be as an enterprise or as a team or around a particular product. You know, it can scale up and down. So what's the current state business model? What's the context in which you exist? So what's the world around your, your business? And that can be around rules and regulations, economic trends, uh, technology advancements, et cetera. So business model, context. And finally, that other piece that you mentioned there is vision. So where are you going? So if you have a sense of who you are, what's around you and where you're going, then you can start innovating and inventing stuff. Because if you don't lay that strong foundation, you run the risk of, you know, duplicating work, you know, having no direction and have people not pulling on the rope in the same direction, not being aligned with the overall strategic plan of the organization. So there's a lot of risk jumping straight into things. But sometimes with some of the more established organizations, like you mentioned, they might not think they need to do a business model and articulate it because they're like, we know what we do. We've been doing it for 70 years and I can tell you about it, but they can't really tell the story. It's in their head, but it's not effectively communicated to other people. And ultimately, if you're going to innovate and design something, you need to convince some people of a different point of view, whether that's external customers or we do a ton of work. So this always surprised me when I when I started doing this work, a ton of work convincing internal folks to buy in, whether that's with resources or just approval on new innovations and projects. So with established organizations, there's sometimes this resistance to do things that people think they have covered or we don't need to empathy map our customers. We know them. They're right next door to us. But do you really? Have you spoken with them? When's the last time you valid, and this is some innovation speak here, when's the last time you validated your assumptions about those customers? And a lot of times people don't have a very good answer for that. When you say buy-in, it sounds like many times when you're having these meetings, you're still having to convince. So who is it that typically brings you in and you know, how do you get a sense for, for who's bought in and, and who's not? So um, when we work with you know, medium to larger size companies, we're often brought in, um, not exclusively, but often by a project team that has a real job to be done. And part of that job to be done includes navigating the internal landscape. So it's like, hey, we've got a mandate from the organization to, you know, build a new software product or to, uh, I don't know, explore this market area. But they still need to get continued budget buy in. They need other parts of the organization to help them build it, scale it out. They get it's very, as I think many of your listeners will know, it's very easy to get caught in the mire of large, complex organizations. So while, you know, the ostensible job to be done is to talk to customers and design some prototypes, it's amazing how much time we spend trying to convince the colleagues of the people who hire us that this is a good experience. And, and I'll say quickly, I'd say the, the best way that I know of doing that is to create experiences where you bring some of those other people into those conversations. Most, a lot of senior folks, they're accustomed to sitting passively back, watching a presentation and then throwing darts at the thing. <laughs> But there's no, almost the Machiavellian no, part. Oh, no, yeah. You know, they're no, next no. Senate, you know, it's like the chopping yeah. block. Next one. Up. Um, no, but, that doesn't happen. <laughs> but there's clever ways of getting around it. Um, so if you take that senior leader or, or manager or whoever it is, and you even in some small way, you get them involved in the design process, you end up where they have a deeper understanding of what you're trying to do because they've seen the sausage made. They've kind of, you know, waited around in the space. And then they have some sense of ownership because they feel like they've been part of it. Even if they're just a validation partner and they're not at your big two-day workshop, they're just there for an hour. If people have understanding and ownership, 
it's a lot harder for them to kill the thing. So there's like kind of Machiavellian elements to this design journey when we're talking about the internal stakeholders. Yeah, and I, 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 the Machiavellian, right? I, I know, I know you. I, we're good. We we know each other very well. And generally, I'm the one who's a little bit darker, and I can't believe I'm going to be the ray of sunlight here. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if it's Machiavellian or just human interaction of like, you know, too often I think we're seeking, you know, to to be heard. And like when we've got good ideas, we think, oh, we're just going to go tell them the truth and they're going to hear the logic and it's going to make sense. But my experience from working with your folks and and design thinking capacity and bringing that big tent approach, right, of like everybody who's going to have a say or is going to be impacted like this, we're going to listen first, right? We're going to hear their thoughts, get their concerns out because it's way better to hear at the beginning, right? And then when, when, when we do move to that, action phase. It's a reminder of this is what we heard. We listened. We listened. And I, I can't stress enough how much I think that is the difference between you know, uh, the political machinations and then just doing what it takes to create influence, awareness, and attractiveness of like, oh, they listened to me. I'm, I'm going to give them, I'll give them 20 minutes, right? I'm, I'm, I, I kind of like it. You know, I like where they're going. I had a say, right? And I, I do think that that really is transformative for everybody because I do think the 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 challenge is like nobody wants surprises, right? Like, hey, if I'm in charge of this portion of the business, and all of a sudden somebody who's you know uh, you know not in my group, not in my department, but is going to impact how I do my work, and they're telling me I've got a two week notice of how I got to change everything I got to do, like it's not about shooting it down; it's survival at that point. Like, I had my own schedule. And uh, you didn't listen to me, right? And now I've, I've got to protect my schedule. And I, I, I think that same page mentality is what's really missing. And I think it's part of the way organizations have been structured, these silos where they don't collaborate more often. And, and what I've seen with what you guys have done for some of our customers and our interactions is you've created this opportunity to get away from that super efficient siloed we don't talk to this group we don't talk to that group like it's really important that they talk together right that they get together and they collaborate and share and think about that future state together it's it's totally important and it's important to take it seriously and so if you're telling that story at the end show that those people are characters in the story and to effectively um because it's one thing to feel like oh i went to this session and i've been heard but it's another thing to see evidence that you've been heard in the outcomes and the, the progress of the project so you can actually create more damage than good if you just ask people questions and then they, there's no close to the feedback loop so um the way that you take your stakeholders whether they're internal or external on a journey through the design process is really important and i think i would advise folks to think about the multiple touch points and the closing of the feedback loop um you know, because then you can really create some real allies and champions and break down silos, like you said, Pat. You also touched on the customer. I find it very interesting how many people don't really know their customer. Like, if I, you know, I, I was giving a presentation uh, at one of the technology groups here. It was for all these enterprise architects uh, who are supposed to be orchestrating all of the solutions through a business, right? And I asked how many of you people know how you make money, right? Not how you generate revenue, but how you actually make profit, right? And then what are your differentiators in the marketplace for your customers? 
right? Like, how do you stand out? Why do people buy your product? And I asked them, because I asked them to raise their hand. And I'd say less than 20% of, of those folks rose, raised their hand where that's kind of a frightening fact of like, you're supposed to be building the internal operations to support two things. One, supporting the differentiators of what your clients are buying for. And then how do you generate more profit to support and fund the business to actually increase the value that you can provide for your customers? So when you guys are doing this and you're, you're engaging with clients and you're, you're doing, what was the phrase that you used about validating your customer? Oh, validating assumptions that you might have. Like you yeah. think, you know, the, you know, these folks, but until you talk to them, you, you know, it's, it's an assumption. So what do you guys, what do you do to, to help facilitate that? What are some of the keys? So when we do this validating assumptions things in terms of, you know, pressure testing what you think you know about your customer, we design experiments, we call it. So it's quasi-scientific method stuff. And it's very common in the kind of the design thinking space. So you kind of start, and this is where the scientific method comes in, you start with your hypothesis. We think that our customer segment of this description and size thinks, believes, or does this kind of thing. To test that, we will do X, you know, have a conversation with 20 of them, create a focus group, give them a little sample product and see how they use it, whatever it might be. So you design how you're going to test it. Then you figure out what your kind of measurement criteria are. So we know we are right and our assumption is eh, at least directionally correct if we see X, Y, or, you know, Z behavior. Uh, and then what are you going to, to do about that next? So it's not rocket science. It's um, creating simple experiments really to um, to generate your own data and and not just rely on secondary research and kind of macro market research stuff but that's part of the scrappy kind of innovation team stuff and you know there's a well-worn phrase in the space is get out of the building and that's that's what you do because people they don't they don't do it a lot they don't really talk to their customers yes informally casually they be able to talk to them every day but I mean do you ever actually try to put some rigor around you know, how you interact with them to try to learn specific things, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants based on informal observations that you've made based on unstructured conversations, which is great, but you, it helps to have both, I think. That's pretty interesting stuff. I, and, I, and I do see it. It's very interesting because when we do have these engagements and we ask these questions, like, it seems like you, you everybody should know. And it would seem, regardless of uh, what level you're at, I think everybody in the organization would benefit from having clarity about like, what is, what is it we're driving at here? Who are our customers? Why am I building this? Right. Yeah. You know? Uh, and I think more, even more so in, as, as the marketplace has become more competitive, right. There's a flattening of, of advantages of size versus geo versus any of that. Like there is, it's just becoming such a level playing ground. It seems like change is going to be critical. And without that awareness of like, who are we building this for? Who are we providing the service to? At every level, uh, you're just creating, you know, your own inability to to adjust and be agile. Yeah, and, and the agility thing is key because, you know, I mean, at least this is my sense of it, right? I mean, there's no like you can segment your customer base into all kinds of things: middle aged, father to whatever, right? You know, you can segment, segment, segment. But there's not going to be like uh, an absolute carbon granite persona that is true. I mean, human beings are very diverse and fickle and changing and, and everything like that. So it's not necessarily to, to know that exactly, but that agility of just having the talking, the conversations be part of your daily work. So it doesn't have to be disruptive. It just becomes part of the way you do things. 
I think uh, I think can be can be helpful. And as a lot of companies, um, so we're we're a small company ourselves, and you know we've got a customer base, but some of our customers have huge catalogs of customers that that, that are a resource. You know, you want to get a hundred users of your software on the phone? Yeah, we can do that in two days, no problem. So the the access isn't an issue. And, and that's almost even more of a waste, you know, as you can get some of these folks and you can design these interactions to be really efficient. You know, it doesn't have to be a big black hole of time spent and, um, you know, deep experiences. You know, you can use design thinking and things to create some pretty efficient things. So I've heard people say, well, our salespeople are talking to the customers. They're going to relay that information. What do you have to say about that? Well, uh, your salespeople have a job that's different from actually trying to capture the truth about what their customers think. The salesperson's, you know, job is to convince people of a point of view, I would think, ultimately hoping, hopefully leading to a sale. But having a conversation that's not from the beginning about trying to convince someone of a point of view is very different from having a conversation where you're actually trying to learn what they think and feel without the influence of a persuasive salesperson. So they're completely different conversations. Yeah, of course, you learn a lot as you're talking to people, anyone Anyone that's observe, you know, has good observation skills will, but it's a completely different uh, purpose and design of conversation. Very good. Yeah, I, I only, I don't think that's the right way to go. But it is things that I've heard people say that you know, uh, or the call room, right? The call room will let us know what's broke. Right. And do you have the sales teams as as part of these initial conversations? Do you have someone from every part of the business involved? Yeah, it depends on budget and scope. No kidding. Yes, sometimes we do. You know, it just depends on how big the project is and who's involved, right? So, um, so if you're doing kind of persona mapping, it's great to have the actual people themselves in the room. You know, and if you can't have that, people that are closest to them. Uh, so yeah, sometimes and and sometimes we do work that's purely based on sales teams and account management, where it's about the messaging. So I think salespeople can benefit from this very well because. You can test things in terms of your understanding of a customer. Those The things that you test don't have to be tangible things. They don't have to be products or services. You can test your messaging, your value proposition. So we do a lot of testing around conceptual things. And we've done that with sales teams numerous times. Like if you're talking about A, B, and C in this kind of area, does that resonate with the experience of the people you're trying to sell something to? So salespeople are often involved depending on the scope of the project, but it's a good question about like if you're trying to gather your forces internally that know the most about customers, yeah, you should definitely involve them. One of the things I've seen in a pattern from uh, our interactions and, and using some of these design thinking workshops is that the sales team is sometimes the least, I don't know, um, the most resistant to these types of engagements, right? Because one, and that's not an accusation, it's just they live in a different world of They've got a 30-day world of I hit my number or there's punishment, right? So setting aside six to eight hours for an unknown outcome of value, right? And and that ROI is clearly not going to impact the next 30 days. And, and you know, I hate it when I hear people say, oh, they're, they're coin-operated. It's like the business required that relationship, right? That's how they set it up. The salesperson didn't show up and say, hey, this is how I want to work. It's what they did. So... I, don't, I never put it on the salespeople. I understand why they're hesitant to invest time because they've got a very compressed world. But at the same point in time, it's very interesting. They're usually the most dynamic participants in how much at the end of the day they've gotten out of it. Because you know, it's like when, you, when you're going to a party, you're not that excited about. It always surprises you how much fun you have, right? Right. It's kind of the same <laughs> thing I see with these guys. They show up and like, 
there was one we did together where uh, she, they said, draw a picture of, of your, 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 your customer. And the guy literally drew, drew a, a dollar bill sign. And I'm like, okay, so that's what we're dealing with it. in the morning. Okay, great. This is going to be a lot of fun. But by the end of the day, uh, he was super excited and engaged. And I think that's really the transformative part of like stepping outside of the business, working on the business. And even they want to be heard because they get impacted by these decisions so often and they don't have any say. And I think that's, that's really, I think it's really important. The distribution of a business whether it's sales and marketing is one of those critical things that I think, especially in Chicago, we devalue because I think we're a very engineering productivity focused, you know, city. I think it's just part of the culture of who we are. And like, we always forget the products don't sell themselves, right? From a distribution standpoint, uh, I think it's something we, we, we don't invest enough in. And it's just part of our humble nature to not brag, right? We feel like sales is kind of a dirty thing where it's not when it's done well. Right. And you're, yeah, it's, well, I, on my personal journey, because sales is part of my job. I know when I started, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I was terrified. But then, you know, classic thing, if you're selling something that you believe in and you sincerely believe can bring value to people, then it's it's fun. <laughs> um, but one thing you said, Pat, that I thought was really interesting there about like the salesperson, for example, thinking like, it's not in my interest to spend time on this design thinking human centered project thing raises a really interesting point that if you're a leader and you're considering doing some of this work with your team, you need to have a value proposition to your team that is compelling. So I was talking earlier about creating compelling pitches to senior VPs. You need to create a compelling pitch it, pitch to the salespeople if you want them to embark on this journey. Um, now, like you said, you've seen evidence because you've seen it that this brings value to, to sales folks. It's a good experience. Some of them are, you know, extroverted and enjoy, you know, communicating. So it's, the energy can be good. Um, but understanding the customer bet and hearing what other people have to say about the customer, even if it's other salespeople, should bring value to their work, right? You know, that customer understanding, even if it's in service of designing a new product or service or offer or whatever, is just an amazing exercise for everyone that has any interactions with a customer at all, whether from the engineers uh, all the way uh, to to the salespeople. Yeah, the uh, and I do think when we come up like to those new models and how we're going to, you know, engage our existing customers or get into new markets or anything like that, there's the selling component and then there's the buying component, right? So to actually complete transact a sale, there's two sides. Like, yes, the demand and desire for a thing is great, but if it's a B2B situation and even B2C, but B2C is a little bit more hyper-emotional. But the B2B is there's there's a process to buy things. And those sales folks know that answer. And when you're crafting that solution, it's critical that they share that information so that you know, are we building something that can be bought, right? Just because somebody wants it doesn't mean that they can buy it. Mm-hmm. So I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I think uh, you talked about the pitches and the concepts and you, you mentioned the compelling, you know, vision, right? Like, what are we doing here? I see as one of the biggest challenges is like, is there a bigger vision? Are there strategically minded folks? Do we have a mandate? And so when you're engaging with a new customer, is that something you're looking for? Is you're, are you making sure that you've got that, that person in the room that is carrying that vision of a future state? 
Or are you looking for instigators, people who are just ready to stir the pot a little bit? What is it? What is it you're looking for? Good question, Pat. I, I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily we're looking for a situation where we see the visions there and it's just our job to dust it off. And, you know, there, I think there are cases when people don't really know. Um, this is maybe more personal than as a business. I, I, I like to work with groups of people that um, are excited and have buy-in and passion for their business, even if they can't clearly articulate it. Um, that's when I, and this is more kind of in the weeds, like in a session, that's when those sessions are, are fun. When, you know, they might not be able to articulate the vision, but there's a light there. <laughs> the light's in there. You're just going to figure out where to shine it. Um, it's tough when you've got people that are kind of worn down. And that's where if you see stuff like that, then as a facilitator, as a group, you're like, whoa, we've got to work on some culture things before we go to this vision piece, right? If you've got a lethargic group that's like five years, I don't care. I just want to sell the same that's right. stuff. I'm, I'm retiring in six you. years. I don't want to learn anything yeah. new. Yeah. yeah. You might be like, all right, let's pause this vision conversation for a session. Let's talk about our behaviors and our motivations. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's a kind of extreme. But anyway, I, I personally look for a group that has energy and passion. And those are the ones that I think are fun to work with. How often do you find a group that doesn't have energy or passion? I think that's just wired into humans. Yeah. I don't know. I can't put a number on it or even really an estimate. I mean, usually, of course, there's some kind of combination of that. You know, you have, you know. And that, that's a true facilitation issue. If you've got a group, and I know myself, I'll be confessional here, I can have like 19 beaming faces and one glum face in the corner, and that's all I think about is, you know, the, the, the dark cloud in the corner. So as a facilitator, you've got to focus. So you're always managing energy. It's a big part when you're doing these sessions. So I, just out of curiosity, did you kind of have a defining moment uh, professionally that led you to do Tank? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was working a job that seemed a little dead end and I wanted to do something else. So it, it, it's weird, Shelley. It's probably not the inspirational answer that you're looking for, but it was, I will say that I was very drawn to consulting because I, I personally crave variety. Um, variety is like huge for me and, and you get that uh, as a consultant and maybe as B2B in, in general. So so that's something that really drew me to it. And I like strategy because I like creative problem solving. So I would say it was my desire to generally have a, very, you know, experience that allowed me to, you know, be somewhat creative in it. Um, and I like it. Nice. I think you also have a high percentage of your, your investment portfolios in Sharpies. <laughs> Indeed. Well, not, not since March, but, uh, yes. Right. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Good point. Right. I was going to go with yellow stickies, but I'm like, nah, 3M, that's not funny. Clearly Sharpies wasn't that funny either, but you know, shoot or shoot. <laughs> But I, that does bring up a great point as, you know, uh, nobody's in the office, nobody's interacting. You know, some, what are some of the lessons learned is you you guys are, are doing these, facilitating these efforts online using some pretty interesting products uh, like Mural. And, you know, they're really awesome. But at the same point, what are some of the lessons learned? What are, what are some of the things that you see coming in the future as well? As as I think we all realize remote is not going away. Yeah. Um so I will say this, like we work with groups of all different sizes, right? So whether it's a small workshop, but we've also done stuff for conferences where you're talking about engaging hundreds or thousands of people. And I think the similar concepts to both cases, right? So I think that people have certainly a different configuration of attention span, you know, cameras off, just fatigue, and certainly kind of less of it. And I think most folks have realized by now that you can't just take your in-person event experience and just digitize it. You know, you can't just do that one-to-one. -one kind of transition. So I'd say 
regardless of the size of the community or the audience that you're trying to engage, whether it's small design sprint team or it's a, you know, a, a national association, you need to digitally segment your audience in different ways than you did when it was in person. You can't just create this beautiful physical space, give people some food, and then the organic magic of stuff happens, right? So you need to segment your audience, right? So it might be, we have this core team. We have a secondary team that maybe instead of inviting them to the workshop, we'll use them as our first test group to, to test the outputs of the first one. We'll have a storytelling pitch group, right? So you have to think more creatively around your audience. And in all cases, you need to create a journey over time for them. So I would recommend not thinking in terms of discrete individual digital experiences, like a one hour digital workshop or a two hour Zoom call, but think about how you're stitching together a combination of interactive experiences, on-demand content, surveys, you know, all these different kinds of means that together will create an experience over time that hopefully will engage those folks. So I'd say in the digital environment, it creates more uh, creativity, greater segmentation, and, and perhaps more flexibility. That may change as we develop more best practices and templates, because everyone's kind of figuring it out right now. But it, uh, it's very different, I will say that. Awesome. Shelly, any last questions? Um, just curious, when your clients bring you in, where are they at in their business cycle? Or where are they at, I don't know, revenue size? Or is it all over the board? It's all over the board. Um, more than half our work's in healthcare. Uh, and I think that's not about us necessarily. I think uh, there's a lot of, there's a big place for design in healthcare. Healthcare is and should be a very human-centered industry. It's very complicated and, and bound by rules and regulations. It's also a large part of our economy, so it's a big market. So, and a lot of hospitals and health systems, at least from that side, um, don't have necessarily a lot of internal design capabilities outside of some of the, the bigger, you know, systems. So there's a really kind of nice perfect storm there. So that's a big space for us. Um, we do, as Pat mentioned, we do a lot of stuff around Chicago, uh, 1871, Matter, M-Hub, all kinds of different groups, Pat's group, Innovation Roundtable. So, but that's not where we make our money. That's where we kind of hone our practice and meet some people and kind of network. I, I'd say for us, um, you know, most of our companies are medium to uh, Fortune 500 companies. Again, half of them being healthcare. Okay, thanks. It's pretty exciting stuff. and. You know, I just want to say, Matt, really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your experience with our listeners. Uh, if you guys want to learn more, Do Tank offers so much free stuff on their website. Uh, there's so many design templates to use to start playing with. Uh, reach out. Uh, Matt's an awesome guy to know. Uh, connect with them on LinkedIn. Uh, follow up with some of their folks. See some of their events. Check it out if you're in the Chicagoland. Well, I guess not in the Chicagoland area, but online. So, so. <laughs> But Matt, I really appreciate you sharing everything you have. And like I said, uh, check out Do Tank's website. Was it dotankdo.com? Dotankdo.com for the main website. And we have a business design academy, which has a lot of those free tools and templates and, and courses. Awesome. I, I really can't recommend it enough. It's, it's really fun stuff. If you're a visionary, and most of the people I, I think that listen to this, you are a visionary. It's a great way to put your ideas on paper and explain yourself completely. Cause I think some of the real challenges for visionary people is they got so much in their head and they don't know how to share it. So it's really great stuff. It's also great stuff to share with your teammates, uh, people that you're working with, you know, it's a, it's a great way to problem solve together and uh, get everybody to share what they're thinking. And if you're a truly visionary person, the more information you have, the bigger the vision. And so uh, I really can't uh, suggest enough. Take the time, check it out. Uh, you can thank me later. So again, Matt, thanks so much. Uh, 
Thanks, Matt. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We also wanted to thank you, our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us today. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Dante32 and sponsored by Dragon Spears. 